We have to consider those things. Or should we? How does your idea of the death sentence, capital punishment, how is that shaped now with knowing that, hey, most young people aren't fully developed mentally until later on in their 20s. They're not fully developed or they don't have that full understanding because of some trauma that they went through. Should there be some more additional steps for us to look at, hey, before we sentence a child to death? Listen, what if I had a tool that would take your business to the next level, your relationships to the next level, and even the people that you lead to the next level? Yes, I do have a tool like that. See, what we don't realize is that we speak and we communicate from a one-sided way. It might be because of how we grow up. I used to lead through my trauma. But what we need to realize is that every single person we interact with communicates differently and we have to be able to customize how we communicate with each and every one that we interact with to get the best product on the other side what if this is something that's going to benefit your relationships your marriage how you lead what if it's going to take your business to the next level because you're going to get the language that you need to get clients and maintain an effective driving team well, let me get you those answers. Make sure you email me at info at AishaThomas.org. Again, that's info, I-N-F-O at AishaThomas, A-I-S-H-A-T-H-O-M-A-S.org. And let me get you the tools that you need that's going to take your life, your business, your relationships to the next level. Hit me up and tap into your genius zone. It is Women's History Month. And today we highlight the works of Alice Ball. She was the University of Hawaii's first graduate student who happened to be black and their first black woman who received a master's degree. And she also was their first black chemistry professor. She invented the first water soluble injectable treatment for leprosy at 24. And although she passed away before she could see her work be put in use, the ball method was used regularly until the development of antibiotics in the 40s for leprosy, a disease that was once considered hopeless. Before her treatment, Americans with leprosy were forcibly removed from their homes and held indefinitely in remote colonies. But her work allowed hundreds of people with leprosy to be allowed to return to their homes. We salute and thank Miss Alice Ball and that is your Women's History Fact of the Day. Welcome to 2020. And Internal Fire introduces you to Fireproof. And in these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some heavy stuff. So listener discretion is advised. In these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some infamous people. People that might no longer be living and some people who are. And what we'll be doing is identifying the child behind the abuser, the child behind the predator, the child behind the school shooter. And by no means should these people not be held responsible for their actions, but we will identify some key things that I want you to realize the importance of getting your mental health help, especially for our young people. Because what if these people had gotten the help that they needed when they were children? Would they have still become the predators, 
the abusers, the school shooters, the serial killers that they did become. Welcome to 2020, and let's focus on how we can start to save our young people and save our own mental health. Bargo sat stoic in the courtroom. You, Michael Shane Bargo, are sentenced to death. He didn't even flinch when the judge sentenced him to death for the 2011 murder of 15-year-old Seth Jackson. Investigators say Bargo and four others lured Jackson to a home, beat him, shot him to death, burned and dismembered his body, then dumped the remains, all because of a dispute over a girl. The judge called it the most cold and calculated murder he's ever seen. The death penalty is not only justified, it is the only appropriate sentence based on the evidence and the law of the state of Florida. Seth Jackson's family decided not to go to court today. Bargo's grandmother broke down crying and his family didn't want to talk as they left court. But his attorney pointed blame at Jackson saying he was a violent person who made plenty of threats. To burn their house down, to rape them, to shoot them. Jurors didn't get to hear about that and she believes it will be part of his automatic appeal to the state Supreme Court. She also feels Bargo's age should have spared his life. He was 18 at the time of the murder. The death penalty. If I was to ask you what your thoughts are about it, what would you say? Would you be for it or would you be against it? Would you consider things like discrimination and a justice system that might not be the best? Or would you feel that if a life is taken, that person's life should be taken, period? Well, let me ask you another part of the question. What if it was a teenager that did a crime that was horrendous? Would you look at the death penalty different? Or would you feel that their lives should be taken as well, regardless of age? That's what we're going to discuss today. We're going to look at stories of teenagers who were sentenced to death. And I want you to consider if it was too harsh or if they deserved for their lives to end because of the crime that they committed. Breaking news here, Steve, on MSNBC. Dylan Roof will get the death penalty. That is what these 12 jurors have unanimously decided today. Dylan Roof will get the death penalty for 18 of these 33 federal charges that he was convicted on just last month. Dylan Storm Roof, 22 years old, now becomes the first person in America to be given the death penalty in federal court for a hate crime, Steve. This marks the end of a very emotional, difficult, and historic trial here in Charleston, South Carolina. This jury comprised mostly of white women. They have decided that Dylan Roof will die by a lethal injection after having killed these nine African-American church members at Emmanuel AME Church on June 17th, 2015, here in Charleston, South Carolina. So in order for us to have an understanding of the death penalty, we have to look at the background. Where did it come from? So I want to educate you guys a little bit about the history of it. Because as we just recently heard of the case of Nathaniel Woods, who was executed for 2004 police murders, a lot of people are upset of how it turned out. There were information and things out there that showed he wasn't connected to it. But on the other side, there are some people who actually supported the outcome of his sentence. 
And that's why some people weigh with supporting it and not supporting it because we've heard case after case of people who have been wrongly convicted and have sat on death row or lost their lives because of things like incorrect testimony, false identification. And although there have been a lot of people exonerated, there have been a lot of people who have lost their lives without getting that fair process that the judicial system has and the Constitution was founded upon. But let's get into it. Let's go into the background of the death penalty and where it derived from. Because before the 1970s, there wasn't really anything that pretty much had rules and regulations in place to ensure that there were certain guidelines that you had to look at before somebody could be sentenced to death as you see today. So in 1972, there was a case called Furman versus Georgia. And it said that the court held the death penalty was then being applied arbitrarily and inconsistently and thus amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. Now, the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, it has rules and regulations that says that that's the goal. We don't want to have any sentencing that is cruel and unusual. And what was happening is that the court found that racial bias have been playing a substantial role in the imposition of the death penalty and held that such a sentencing structure failed to meet prevailing standards of civilized conduct. So that was the first time that case of Furman in Georgia that the death penalty was really looked at because now it's just like, okay, there's some racial bias going on over time. And we know the history of the times and what was happening in the past. It wasn't until the 1970s that they were like, wait, we need to really start looking at this case. So as time evolved, there were certain standards that cases like Furman and Greg that kind of helped shape these decisions that will determine when not to apply it and when to apply it. And the three stipulations is first, was the defendant convicted of a non-fatal assault? So basically, in order for someone to get the death penalty, there has to be a fatality. If there wasn't no fatality, then you can't sentence someone to death. The next thing that has to be considered, was there an intent to kill? Was there true intention to kill? We watched the, we talked last week about the case of Gabriel Fernandez. And that was the reason why the defense was trying to say, hey, do not say it was first degree murder because he didn't intentionally kill Gabriel. But then the goal of the prosecution was to show that the intent was there. There was some planning. There was conversations. There were things that happened prior for that family to say yes or for her boyfriend to say, yes, I'm going to take his life. So it has to show that there was an intent to kill. The next thing is minor defendants cannot be put to death. And anybody that is under 18, they believe they are undeveloped. They have undeveloped senses of maturity. They're more susceptible to negative external pressures, and they do not have character that is well-informed as to that of an adult. So if you're under 18, you can't be put to death. And then finally, the mentally disabled defendant. And there are certain IQ tests and there are certain stipulations that each state has to determine if someone has competency enough to stand trial. And that's why you hear cases where someone is saying that they're pleading insanity and they have doctors and people involved and they have to determine if truly this person is mentally disabled because mentally disabled individuals cannot be put to death. But again, that didn't come until after the 
70s. And even when you get into the 1980s, they started to adopt different ways to execute individuals. So just think about all those cases prior to that. But if you wanted to get the peak of the background of the death penalty, that's how it was shaped. Before there was no rules and regulations, and it wasn't until the 1970s that you started to see different methods and processes and considerations to be put in place because the Supreme Court had cases in front of them that started to shape and they determined and looked at what was going on to say, okay, let's look at these factors. And before someone is put to, de- to death, and if these states have these regulations and are still incorporating the death penalty a part of their sentencing, you have to look at the fact, is the person a minor? Is the person mentally disabled? Was there a true intent to kill? And ultimately, was there a fatality in that situation? And Mike Austin Myers had another shot today. He asked the judge to spare his life. Last week, a Warren County jury recommended death for the 19-year-old. But at the official sentencing this afternoon, Judge Oda heard from Myers as well as Justin Back's family. Austin could have stopped it, but tells Justin, it's okay, it's almost over. You could have changed your mind many times, but you didn't, especially when Justin was begging for his life. An 18-year-old Navy recruit begged his friends to stop choking and stabbing him. Instead, they continued with the brutal murder. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how much I hate you. That is without question. Today, Justin Back's parents didn't hold back as they spoke to Austin Myers, one of the teens who is now convicted of killing their son, Justin. You know, you want revenge. You can't help it. It's like a human nature. That was my son that, you know, on the streets did. That was my son, and people don't understand that. And the family has these words for Jamil. We did it, man. We did all we could do. You know, can't, can't do no more than that, man. I tell him every day, sorry about that, man. Sorry, man. So let's talk brain development. Brain development of young people. But before that, I need you to know that capital punishment is legal in 29 U.S. states. 29. And although, yes, it is legal in 29 states, there are certain states that might use it more often than others. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, 22 people were executed in the U.S. in 2019, and the number of death sentences imposed was 34. And if you consider juveniles, 21 individuals were executed between 1976 and 2005. And in March 1, 2005, the Roper versus Simmons case is where the Supreme Court ruled that execution of juvenile defenders are no longer constitutional. So there was a shape, there was a change that happened there where it says, hey, juvenile offenders can no longer be executed. We can't impose that on them. And that's why I read to you before about how there are certain stipulations now that has determined that, okay, this is when the death penalty would be, will be imposed. But unfortunately, between that time, there were still 21 young people who were put to death. But I want to talk about the brain development because as I broke down to you before, it talks about brain development and how, why the under 18 or 18 and under rule has been imposed to say, okay, well, this is why juveniles should not be put to death because they're still maturing. They're still growing up. There's still things that they have to learn, right? There's still time for them to develop and change. But if we look at the brain development of young people, it already says that by the time young people are six, you know, their brains are about 90 to 95% adult size, but 
the brain is still in a, in a process of still remodeling and shaping so it can fully function as an adult brain. So that's going to continue until that child is in their mid-20s. Think about it, until they're in their mid-20s. So depending on things like, so a lot of the brain changes happen during puberty, and then brain change develops like around with, with age, experience, hormonal changes, and all that. And the key word I want you to ha- highlight is experience. Because again, remember I told you guys before, in the stories that I've showed you, the experiences we have talked about, trauma, and depending on that child's environment, can really affect how that brain develops. It'll shape that brain, the trauma they're going through, the level of fight, flight, or freeze that they're dealing with on a regular basis. And if fight, flight, and freeze, if you want to consider, um, we are naturally created to respond to uncomfortability either in three ways. Fight. So say, you know, you were walking down a hall and you heard a loud noise and then somebody jump out, somebody that's about that fight life will punch them. Another person will freeze. So they hear a loud noise and somebody jumps out, they'll freeze. And then the other way is by flight, meaning if that person jumps out, they'll run. So everybody responds to trauma or things that are uncomfortable in different ways. But again, it's just like the story I told about Gabriel Fernandez. Over time, you know, his trauma started to affect him and it does affect the brain. Even when I talked about the experiences from the other uh, podcast about Aaron Hernandez and his experiences started to shape the brain as well as the trauma he was dealing with and the, the, the hits he had with CTE. And although, again, this doesn't mean that these crimes that people commit is it's OK or they get a pass because there are a lot of people who have been through trauma. There are a lot of people who have been through some broken homes and they're fine. They're not committing these crimes. But if we're looking at the cases of teenagers and we're seeing that, hey, their brain is still being developed, it's not fully developed until their mid-20s, it even says that, hey, we have the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is still developing. So they're relying more on their amygdala. And think about the amygdala. The amygdala of the brain is where it, you can say that is the more the emotional part of the brain. It's associated to emotions, impulses, aggression, and instinctive behavior, where the prefrontal cortex is where that, hey, decision-making is being made, problem-solving. So that isn't fully developed until that young person is in their mid-20s. And there's some adults we know that still have issues making wise decisions, and we don't know what kind of experiences they had as young people. But if we're saying that the adult brain and you know the development of a young person's brain doesn't happen until their 20s, then when the Supreme Court and these decisions were being made to say, hey, we don't want to put a juvenile to death because of things like this, but then we'll put one to death if they're over 18, maybe between 18 and 20, then it makes you wonder, do you want to question that at all? And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, but does that change how you see it or does it not? Because if you know now that if that child went through trauma, if you know now that their brain isn't fully developed, that they will tend to respond based off of emotion first and then they think later, will that make you consider, okay, well, maybe this person gets a life sentence instead or maybe this should be the response to it? We have to consider those things. Or should we? How does your idea of the death sentence capital punishment. How is that shaped now with knowing that, hey, most young people aren't fully developed mentally until 
later on in their 20s. They're not fully developed or they don't have that full understanding because of some trauma that they went through. Should there be some more additional steps for us to look at? Hey, before we sentence a child to death, do we look at their history? Do we, do, do we look at their past? But then you have to consider for that mother or that father or that loved one that has lost that loved one who is hurt, who they might believe, hey, you took the life of my child, so your life should be taken. This is one of the hardest discussions to have. But the reality is that we do have young people who commit heinous crimes and they do things. And the question is, do they deserve death? Do they deserve a second chance? Or do they deserve to just sit in prison and have to deal with the consequences that came with the heinous crime and the hurts and the pains that they caused to other people who didn't deserve to lose their lives? That's something to think about. Our youth of today are struggling with mental health issues, with confidence issues, and suicide has now become the second leading cause of death of young people. That's why I had to write my book, Trendsetter Seven Steps to Radically Stand Out to Be the Best You, to equip them with the tools that I use to become radically confident. See, in ninth grade, I attempted suicide. I didn't believe in myself, and I felt like my life no longer mattered because I lacked that self-confidence. So now I have given young people the tools that they need to become radically confident, and I need you to grab a copy so you can give it to your children, your students, your mentees, or just give it to someone who you think will need it in case they ever run into a moment where they start to not believe in themselves. Go grab your copy at Amazon.com or go to becomingatrendsetter.com. Again, that is becomingatrendsetter.com. Are you ready to take yourself to the next level, your family to the next level, your business to the next level? Make sure that you're not just listening to me, but you're listening to the entire Speak Fire team. What's up, guys? I'm Aisha Thomas, the host of Internal Fire, and I want to introduce you to the other people that are a part of the Speak Fire squad. Make sure you head over to Leadership Fire and check out Michael G's podcast, Student Fires, hosted by Bobby B, Champions Fire, hosted by Cornelius D, Father's Fire, by Jody S and Young Fire by Sean B. Make sure you like and subscribe to each and every one of those podcasts. And trust me, it'll help you get to the next level. Go check them out now. I want to shout out all my faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And don't forget to follow me on social media at Miss Aisha Speaks on all platforms. That's M-S-A-I-S-H-A Speaks. And don't forget to like and subscribe, turn your notifications on, and leave a comment if this podcast has blessed you in any kind of way. I thank you for all your support. Many blessings to you.